Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. This is a very special week here at Ireland's classic hits radio. You may have been reading in the paper today some of the shocking stories of people who had been bullied in the workplace. And the reason that arose was... Uh, We are officially launching our Work Smart Speak Out campaign against workplace bullying. And it started with a survey that I asked you to fill in some weeks back. Well, we wanted to find out, you know, how you were doing at work, particularly after COVID, etc. You were kind of settling back into work. Maybe some of you were hybrid working, maybe some were remote working, or maybe some were back at work full time. And so many of us are finding the work-life balance difficult to juggle. I also did mention as well that I do believe in the next 10 years we'll all be down to a four-day working week. I think the five-day five day working week is probably coming to an end very soon. But what we ended up finding is that many of you experienced or have experienced workplace bullying. And that really impacted us here. We were surprised and shocked at the amount of you that actually said you were being harassed or bullied in the workplace. And we don't like to think of people feeling anxious or unsafe at work or feeling that they can't go to work, even in a job they love so much, but they kind of dread going in the next morning. And all this week, we'll be hearing your stories and speaking with experts about this extremely important topic. So I'm delighted tonight to introduce clinical psychotherapist Stephanie Regan. Stephanie has been a clinical psychotherapist for 25 years and also Michelle Lachnan. Michelle is a solicitor uh, with Milani Walsh Maxwell's in Dublin too. And she has extensive experience in all areas of litigation and specialises in employment law. Ladies, you are very welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you very Evening much now. for joining us. Thanks, Stephanie, now. if I could just come to you first, just in relation to, sure. I suppose, the effects it can have on somebody are devastating. And I spoke there yeah. a few minutes ago about loving a job, but sitting there at nine o'clock at night, terrified of the thought of going in the next day because mm. your anxiety is building up, you're getting pains in your chest, pains in your arms because that one person is making your life so difficult. Yeah. That, can be very, that can be very disruptive for somebody, can't it? Of course, very destructive, um, Niall, in terms of well-being, in terms of health, like stress. Stress erodes us, you know. It's like a corrosive, isn't that what they say? Like in a metal, you know, it's corrosive. It mm. kind of, it, it takes away our relax, it takes away our clarity, our kind of, our, I suppose, facility to concentrate. So loads of things happen to us in, in, you know, sort of layers and layers of response. And the longer it goes on, it's okay, you know, we all have a bad day, but it's when it is this persistent, consistent, focused, negative kind of behaviours coming at you that it really makes people feel kind of helpless, stressed and stressed and stressed and helplessness go together, you know, Mm -hmm. and they begin to feel like they, they begin to doubt themselves. And then, of course, they find that going home for the night, that's not enough to relax. Going home for the weekend, it's not enough to relax. You know, it's not enough time. So they can't really come out of the stress. And what happens ultimately is they end up feeling very burnt out. And burnt out is what really happens with bullying over time. I mean, it reminds me of, I had a job many years ago. Pardon me, I was working in a particular nightclub. I used to work as a nightclub DJ. Yeah. And the the boss there wasn't a nice person. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, it was a difficult place to work in. It was one night a week. I got a substantial amount of money for doing it. So, and obviously being a provider, I didn't want to give it up. But I remember the whole week, it was on my mind. Friday's coming soon. Friday's coming soon. Oh God, here I go. And Mm. I I really dreaded it. it. The anxiety that built up was horrendous. And... And even when it was over and I did it, 
as soon as it finished and I got back into the car, I was thinking of the following Friday again. Yes. So I can only imagine how that would reflect on somebody who was being bullied on a daily basis. Yes, because in many ways you're staying ever ready. You're staying hyper vigilant. You're kind of, because it takes time for your body to come down from a stress. You know, just the adrenaline levels. And as I say, you don't have enough time overnight. Or, you know, there used to be um, this kind of the Sunday night syndrome, you know, where when kids were going back, for example, to boarding school, where your body knows at, at, at so many levels, you know, not even before you've registered it to yourself or thought about it, that you're going back to school. Well, it's a bit like that, isn't it, with with bullying? You, you know, as people will often say to me, well, Friday night I can sleep. Saturday night less less well, but Sunday night no sleep because mm-hmm. because unconsciously and and consciously, but they know you know on a Friday night maybe they can relax a little bit more, so they might be able to you know come down from it a little more. Yeah, and, and I suppose those thoughts are running through their head, and many of the texts and messages we got from people were talking mm-hmm. about this ang- this anxiety and the anxiousness and work, and we did get actors obviously to replace some of the stories because obviously people didn't want their names to be identified sure. on the air. But here's one such example of that anxiousness. Oh my God, oh my God, I never sent that email. Oh my God, I wonder if John's in. Oh, there's his jacket and keys. Oh God, he's going to go ballistic. Oh, there he is. Okay, crap. I'll just make tea. I'm making too much tea though. Do they notice how much I'm out of my seat? Oh, my stomach. Why am I like this? If I just get through today and go home and I can lie down, I'll be fine. We just need to get through the next two hours. Oh my God, he's on the phone. He's looking at me. Oh my God, he's closed the blinds. That's about me. They're talking about me. I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. Why didn't I just send that email? It's so easy. Why do I forget everything? I did this three weeks ago. Not even finished my probation. I'm going to lose this job and I'm never going to get a house. What is wrong with me? Why can't I do anything right? Why am I so stupid? That's the kind of anxiousness, Stephanie, that people mm-hmm. feel in work when they have a particular person, in that case her boss, yes. who obviously picks on her quite a lot. And you then become paranoid that Correct. even if the two bosses are meeting, they're talking about you. If you see yes. him walking in the door, you, you go and make another cup of tea just to stay out of the way. Yes. And, and people are living that daily. Yes, they are living. They are living it until often something happens that it becomes too much. And like like this lady, you know, in your in your um, piece there, you can see that that as it builds up, she's beginning to become more and more hypervigilant, which takes a lot of energy. So you become very exhausted with that, you know, at a clinical mm-hmm. level. And then everything reminds her. So very little, it takes very little to spark it off again. So this is where the no rest comes in. You know, you can't come get out of it, so to speak. Um, so what I find, this continues for people until they come to some either kind of I suppose you would say crisis point where they might find themselves not able to sleep, not able to hold the tears back in work or where they just can't face work and they start taking sick leave. So something happens that causes Mm -hmm. the crisis. And then uh, they have to make a decision. Do they, you know, is it just are they out on sick leave and do they get to talk to the right person who helps them to understand what's really going on? That's and I suppose that's the kind of work I do where you, yeah. you get to people at that kind of point, which is obviously if, lovely. If they go past that point, sadly, they're going to be calling Michelle. Uh, yes. Because Michelle, I suppose 
uh, just to come to you, when you receive somebody or somebody's in a situation where they want to take a case to the Labour Court or they want to take litigation against their employer, they're normally past that point where they've tried to resolve it in an amicable manner. Mm. Um, and what are generally the type of cases that you would see, Michelle? Is it, you know, generally sexism, racism? Are they those kind of cases or is it just, you know, harassment and bullying? I suppose generally when people would come to see somebody like me, just as you said, Niall, the relationship has ended and their health has been eroded to such an extent that, you know, I end up liaising with people like Stephanie here in her clinical practice. But what we usually find is that when an employee will come to us complaining about inappropriate behaviour in the workplace, there's usually a whole range of issues. So it may not be the repeated and inappropriate behaviour that we classify as bullying. But there may also be a harassment or a discrimination issue like the sexism that you speak about. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes we end up finding that, you know, a lot of these employees, just as Stephanie said, become very hypervigilant, become quite obsessive about the work that they're doing and end up working these crazy long hours. And then we're into a situation of burnout. So we've got a whole different range of issues that can possibly arise between bullying, harassment and even perhaps issues with the Organisation of Working Time Act because of those long working hours. And when we talk about those different issues that arise, they're not very simple to to kind of look at. I mean, you talk about, say, sexism, for example, as as an example. It's difficult sometimes to prove that because, if, for example, if it's something about equal pay, we have to decide, are you doing the same working hours? Do you have the same job title? All those kind of things which in, are in the legislation and the Equality Act. But So it, it is difficult for you then, I suppose, to prove that or, or is it difficult to prove that? Well, if we look at the definition in and of itself for um, bullying, Niall, so the definition that we have is repeated and inappropriate behaviour, which could reasonably be regarded as undermining the individual's right to dignity at work. Now, can you tell me in plain English what that actually means? What mm-hmm. behaviour will actually fit within that definition? It's a kind of, there's a grey area there then really, isn't there? It's a, it's a very difficult balance of, you know, your boss obviously has to have the right to give out to you to some degree or discipline you if, if you're not doing something right or if you're being lazy or if you're not turning up for work or if you're late all the time or whatever it happens to be. But then there's a line that you step over where it just becomes harassment then. So exactly. it's kind of difficult to prove that, isn't it? It's, it's a difficult balancing act for you as a, you know, in litigation. Well, it's incredibly nuanced and incredibly complex. You know, you really have to examine what that behaviour entails and employees need to be able to communicate what the examples of that behaviour are. And it can be very difficult for them to do that, particularly if they have been subjected to this behaviour for a very long period of time. But I think one of the significant legal challenges that a lot of people face is that there is a spectacular lack of legislation dealing with the area of bullying in the workplace. There is no specific legal provision that offers employees redress for this type of behaviour. That's quite disappointing, isn't it? Because I was involved in legislation going back three years ago with Jackie Fox when her daughter, sadly, Coco, took her life. And we were involved here as a radio station in making sure that legislation was changed and it's now called Coco's Law. 
and uh, we were actually it was the first and only protest I ever took part in because the BAI regulations prevent me taking part in protests but I didn't consider it a protest I considered it a rally so I was there and I spoke at it but because I felt it was such an important piece of legislation that had to be pushed through and we had Jackie on the air numerous times with, along with the Minister of Justice so we got that legislation with th- thanks to Jackie and many other people and ourselves we got that legislation pushed through but we have no legislation when it comes to the workplace really no specific legislation not in relation to interpersonal relationships in the workplace. Um, And in the absence of any kind of appetite to push that through, what employees are then left with is trying to fit their issue into existing causes of action. So, for example, we often see people leave the workplace because the behaviour has been so bad. And those employees end up trying to include this behaviour in a constructive dismissal claim which is challenging in and of itself, trying to win a claim like that. Mm-hmm. Employees also then have the option of referring a complaint to the Workplace Relations Commission under the Industrial Relations Legislation. But the Workplace Relations Commission can only make a recommendation in that regard. It's not enforceable against employers. And then what we also see then as well is where the behaviour was so severe to the extent that an employee has suffered personal injuries and it may actually impact their ability to work going into the future. You see those employees trying to fit their bullying claim into a personal injuries claim. And unfortunately, these causes of action were never actually designed to deal with the complex issue of interpersonal um, workplace relationships. And you mentioned constructive dismissal. That was one thing we found in the survey that a lot of people had said their job had become so difficult they actually left. So it wasn't a case of them being fired or the bully, you know, the bully or the boss or whoever it was getting rid of them, but they just couldn't take it anymore and they actually just left. Which I suppose definitely is what happens to somebody when you undermine them so much mm-hmm. and when you degrade them so much and make them feel so bad about themselves, they really feel no option but to leave. Stephanie, I imagine. yeah, well, they feel powerless. Niall, you're right. They feel powerless and they feel, I suppose. On top of feeling powerless, if they don't feel that there are avenues that they can, you know, systems of the organisation or systems that are close at hand that can support them and help them, well, then out the door is probably the best place for them because in some ways um, they need to stop the the impact on their health. But I just interestingly, when I was listening there to Michelle, we I would have been involved um very much in employ in employee assistance programs, if you've ever heard of them, they are really the in-house kind of staff care programs, and all the large organisations in the country would have them, and they are where you know there are sort of four to six counselling sessions and all sorts of helping support system, you know, kind of services for staff are available, and so in that context, I used to see quite a lot of people with bullying, and what we would do is as myself and Michelle were talking briefly before we came in, you know, we would try and help them. Not so much, I wouldn't be there like a protector of the organisation, but rather, you know, I know that the legal process is a very difficult one, very, very, you know, um, how would you say, um, adversarial and very, you need to be in the full of your health to go in there. And Mm -hmm. so if you go in there when you're not in the full of your health, and I used to find that people would would be hoping and expecting for all sorts of sort of um, retribution for what had happened to them, which of course never really happens in the end. And so they get caught up sometimes in two or three years of 
difficulty affidavits and here, there and everywhere and meetings and meetings. And in the end, it's still a very unsatisfying thing. So I found that my work in the clinical sense, apart from helping them to recover, was also helping to empower them to deal with it in the time and indeed if they'd got to the point where they wanted then to make a more legal complaint. But but my job, I, I felt really at a clinical level, I wanted to empower them so I would help them to slow the process down to write down everything that they saw happening to them, how they felt, when it happened, what the behaviour was, how it felt. And um, and then I would move them to a point, I would try and move them to a point where they would be able to ask that person for a change of behaviour. Now, that's a big deal. And if you get in early enough, you can do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's mm-hmm. it's doable. And when that happens, the reason I mention it is because when the person get some power back, they're already on the road to recovery. And that's what's really important, in my view. Are there, Stephanie, other people who are more predisposed to being bullied? I've often heard this kind of line of thought that people who are bullied in school are most likely the same people who'll be bullied in the workplace, the same people who'll be bullied in a relationship. Mm. Because, you know, I I for myself, for example, I was bullied very badly in school. Yes, I heard that. Yeah, mm. I, yeah, but, and so much so that I suffered alopecia. I lost all my hair yeah. when I was nine years of age. Do you really know what it's about? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and all then through my life because I, you know, at a young age I had no hair. I ended up staying in the house. I wouldn't go out and all. Yeah. I wouldn't get into photographs. You know, and, and what that does is it gives you some sort of insecurity complex. Of course. And it makes you feel insecure. It makes you feel paranoid. And I can remember it for the 14 or 15 years mm. of age. If I seen other kids talking, I knew they were talking about me. Yeah. I, you know, look at him. He has no hair and all this kind mm-hmm. of. So, and that then goes on throughout your life. Yes. And I feel that has badly affected my life now. That, like that girl in the in the, the audio that we just heard, yeah. I'd be the one sitting at my desk going, "Oh, look, they're in the office. Are they talking about me? The show the other night? Mm. Maybe they didn't like it. Mm. Maybe something." So I'm that person. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean something's happening to me. But I'm that person. So are some people just predisposed more so because of insecurity? Uh, well, to bullying than others. Some people, some people are, are also more, uh, you could say, are the, some people more inclined to be bullies. That's another way to put that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think people who, I mean, I'm very careful about that because I don't really think that, you know, you know, when you say it that way, Niall, and I'm, like I'm not in name. any way negating yours because I yeah. get it, you know, but, but bullies, if you've been bullied as a child, it's not that you go on and have to be bullied, but it is a matter of if that was never worked out and if you weren't supported enough and you didn't get that kind of support, which kids do get now, mm-hmm. you know, then it can really continue and go underground. And also it can leave you ever ready and for noticing and imagining and expecting bullying when maybe it's not always there, where another child would who didn't have the experience, say, that you had, would instead would step right in and say, are you talking about me? <laughs> I, that's, I've, I've often wondered if I had to be, when I was nine years of age, if I had to be the kid that stood up and said, yes. uh, don't steal my lunch or my money yeah, or I can be don't touch my head. <laughs> I, I wonder would it have changed my whole life. But of course. Just, Michelle, getting on again to the, the litigation aspect, you talked about the process. It's very long and drawn out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember somebody saying to me a while ago, if you want to take an action against the company after you leave for constructive dismissal or whatever it is, you can expect to wait 18 months before you even get a date before the Labour Court. Does that then turn people off doing it and they're just going to feck it, I'll just go and get a job and I'll forget about it and there's no point? I think generally before people leave the workplace, they will come and speak to a solicitor and they will try and get some advice on it. Um 
And we would always try and encourage employees to try and deal with the matter internally. So try and use the existing avenues that are there with the anti-bullying policy and procedure. Um, in December 2020, we received a new code of practice in relation to how to deal with bullying in the workplace. And it's very much focused on uh, prevention and early intervention and really recognises mediation as being key in trying to resolve issues of workplace bullying before they get to the point where people actually want to leave the, the workplace. But I suppose that kind of brings me back to one point that Stephanie was making about empowerment and really, you know, coaching and working with an employee to build them up to a point where they, they feel ready to speak out about it. And, you know, the hashtag for this particular campaign is, you know, speak up. But sometimes that can be easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And I suppose if I can use the example of, you know, people suffering with mental health difficulties and you see endless amounts of campaigns saying, you know, uh, talk to someone, speak, um, seek support, um, you know, lean on people. But when you have been the victim of workplace bullying, I mean, it infiltrates your entire life. It it doesn't just impact your workplace. It impacts your relationship with your family, with your husband, your wife, your mm. girlfriend, your mm. boyfriend. I mean, where do we, you we've, start? We've heard those stories. We had that from Liam, who was featured in one of the papers today. And it affected everything, so much so his marriage nearly came to a divorce. Yeah. And I remember speaking to a forklift driver here about two, three years ago. And again, he tried to take his life twice, yeah. but kept his job all the time, even though he was being bullied every single day because he was a provider. He yeah. three kids. He felt he needed to keep his job at that time. It was going back a good few years ago. There was a recession. The chances of getting another job were slimmer, whereas nowadays it might be a little bit easier. And he just felt he had to stay in that job. So he put himself through this severe depression every single day. So much so that his marriage nearly broke up. He nearly lost everything until he eventually got the, I suppose, the, the, the power to actually leave the job. Which is an absolute tragedy. Um, so we need to focus on how do we empower people like that to to raise the issue or, or deal with the issue? Because there is definitely a language gap there in, you know, how, how people decide to deal with it. I think the word bully and bullying, sometimes it can be so loaded that, you know, an employee is afraid to raise it because they're afraid of being perceived as that troublesome or disgruntled mm. employee. And also employers, when they hear that word bully or bullying, the walls tend to go yeah. up because there, there's such a fear around it. Um, but really, we need to be focus, focusing on how we can empower employees in relation to raising it, but raising it in the appropriate way and using the appropriate channels in the workplace and focusing on organisations and employers and how they are trained to manage these complaints when, when they receive them so that things are dealt with in an effective way. And, and I think, you know, the larger companies, particularly the big tech companies, they're probably great at dealing with all that stuff because they've got large HR departments and everything else. But when you're looking at, say, the smaller companies, yeah. you know, the, the corner shops that might only have five employees or, or the small factory that might have 10 employees or whatever it is, it's not as easy then. You don't have those same places to go, do you? No. But actually, Niall, it is interesting. The larger the organisation, the greater the prevalence of bullying. That is actually what the research tells us, which is in, is it that people feel able to or there are simply more people? But the prevalence, you know, even per 
percentage is um, is higher in the bigger organisations. And um, you, you just might find it interesting, but where it's where it's most, the sectors that have the highest rates of bullying are education, public administration, health and social work and transport and communications with 12 and 14 percent. Now, that's just a national, you know, mm-hmm. broader national research. And yours, what you have there in your survey is a snapshot and a very important snapshot. It's very much there. I... I was struck by what what Michelle said there about the language um, issue and bullying. It's not a great word. I remember 20 years ago, actually, I used to work in Erling and Arinth around this time of when bullying sort of policies were brought in. And it actually had a, a problem with the language even then, you know, because I think people see it as as it, it does have that schoolyard quality to it. And we might be a lot better with a refined, do you know what I mean? A refinement of that. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, bullying, for me, the thing that makes it completely different is always the tar- consistent, targeted, inappropriate behaviours that are designed mm-hmm. to bring you down, to diminish you or to make you look less good in the workplace amongst others. So I kind of, I, I think of it that way and... So a one-off incident is what you're saying. In other words, Doesn't if a boss matter. has a go at you on one particular day, yes. that's not actually bullying. So no, we need different not. types of language for different types of things. Yes. That's an it's, incident. It's an incident and, and everybody, I'm not saying it's always excusable. I mean, bad behaviour is bad behaviour, but bad behaviour is not bullying in the context of what we're talking about. It's consistent, it's um, intentional and it's designed, you know, purposefully to bring you down a little. And we, I mean, I see the behaviours, having worked in organisations for years, um, I see the behaviours. The behaviours would be not letting you know that a meeting is coming up, but telling you five minutes beforehand that the meeting is um, about to happen. So you go in unprepared and then that person asks you all the detailed questions and you look like the guy or the girl who knows nothing. So you're diminished in the eyes of others. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, a very typical thing. Like we think of it like shouting and, you know, pushing and, and you know, instinctively we think of those things. But actually it's, it's also about, you know, ruining your your reputation in the eyes of others. And that's why I remember actually a few years ago I ran a campaign about not gossiping in the workplace because gossip is a very toxic thing and you of, people often bully and this is actually known that men and women bully in a different way in the workplace, that women are inclined to do a little more talking about the person in as a style of bullying, if you like. So mm. they might, you know, it might be subtle. It might just say, you know, oh, you know, Mary, Mary doesn't look very well. Oh, I heard X about her and, you know, mm. somebody else told me this. So it's a sort of a let's, you know, get the story going and 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 get a narrative going about Mary that says that Mary's not OK. I've dealt with an awful lot of that kind of thing in the work, workplace. And um, for me, that's very clear. That's bullying, that's intentional, and it's intended to diminish that girl and her reputation. On that note, actually, just we did have another message from a a girl that was on to us. And Mm -hmm. and again, we're saying we're using actors' voices here. We'll have a quick listen. This Mm -hmm. is probably something that you're talking about. Congratulations, Lily. Who did you have to sleep with to get this promotion? (laughs) Yeah, okay. I mean it. What's your secret? You aren't here a wet week. Yeah, are you related to someone? Maybe I'm just good at my job. <laughs> you are funny. I suppose it doesn't hurt that Robert fancies the arse off, yeah? Will you give him the ride now that you're working directly 
under him. Okay, uh, I have to go. Ah, don't be such a dry shite. You know we're messing. Yeah, come on. It's a laugh. Yeah, I know. It's it's just not funny. I worked really hard to get this promotion. Oh, I'm sure you did many extra jobs for this one. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's exactly, and I know there's a, there's a level of humour in that, but that's exactly what you're talking about because you yeah. just know those two ladies yes. who are having a go with a younger girl by the sounds of things yeah. are probably going off and talking behind her back about how she got the promotion, who she had to be with to get the promotion, etc., yes. etc., and and probably spreading rumours that are not even true yes. uh, about the young girl. Good- and that's... That's the kind of example, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's exactly the example. And and another thing which which really strikes me in that is that uh, it's something I always find helps people when I when I meet with them. And that is, the research really tells us that people who are good performers are more inclined to be bullied than bad performers. So I often say to people, you know, the reason you're probably bullied is because you are good at your job not because you're bad at it. So mm. to help their confidence to come up a little, people see you as a threat. When they begin to look through why people might be bullying them, that's kind of helpful to them. Instead of feeling, because you know the way their self-esteem goes down, they feel they doubt themselves, they, they doubt, as you mentioned there, is there this vulnerability? Do I look like you can bully me? And that's why I never go that narrative, you know, that you were mentioning yeah. there, because I think it, it helps. There's, there's a level of victim blaming about that. Yeah, to some and degree, it makes yeah. them feel like almost they can't manage it. They can't control it. You can, mm. you can control it. And once they see through it and see that it's, this is a real flaw in this person who is doing this to you, the flaw isn't yours, it's theirs. And once we get that ball put back, if you like, in the right box, they, they begin to feel much better about themselves. And I suppose that's the job I do. Yeah. Michelle, just to come back to you, and you were talking about legislation a few minutes ago, and I suppose you would be calling for legislation uh, in relation to workplace bullying or harassment, uh, depending on what way you want to word it and what the incident happens to be, because we don't have anything there at the moment. But when it comes to, I suppose, other legislation, I don't know, in the last few years, I did hear Leo Varagher talking about legislation, which was uh, in relation to, say, you know, texting people outside of working hours, emailing people over the weekends, you know, this kind of having a go of people constantly, where... Similar to school children, you know, years ago we talked about school children that were bullied, you know, from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon, but at least they got away from that time. Nowadays, kids take the bully home in their pocket on a phone. Mm. It's the same in the workplace now. The boss can continue to text you or email you at the weekend. Did you get those files? Did you get that printed up for me? That ha- is there legislation there? Because it's a bit unclear at the moment because Leo Racker did bring in something I, I hardly was supposed to any in relation to emailing people outside of the work, t- work time. Well, we do have the Organisation of Working Time Act, Niall, um, which is very prescriptive in terms of rest and break periods from work. So everyone has a right to 11 hours of rest from when they finish work this evening before they start work tomorrow morning. So during that period of time, your manager, your employer cannot be texting you about work, cannot be emailing you about work and expecting a response from you because that means you're at the employer's disposal during those hours and you're not actually getting the rest and break periods that you're entitled to by law and you're entitled to them by law because it's a health and safety issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The one, the one I was thinking of, I think it was called the right to disconnect. Was, it, was that the one that Leo Riker spoke about or I think it was legislation that they were bringing in in Europe Yes, and he that, talked about it here, which was the right to disconnect. Yes, And again, you know, that filters back into, you know, the health and safety aspect of work. That's why you have a right to disconnect from your Mm -hmm. work so you can rest, so you can recuperate and you can come back to work recharged and ready to do your work. 
Is this a big problem for women in the workplace? You'd imagine, Michelle, at this point of our lives where 2023 we've moved past the inequality of men and women in the workplace. But is it still a problem where, you know, a a young girl who's maybe starting a family who's getting pregnant or whatever is still given a hard time because, oh, not her, she's not pregnant again, is she? Oh, for God's sake, that's really going to mess. Is that still a problem in the workplace? Unfortunately, Niall, pregnancy-related discrimination and pregnancy-related dismissal is rampant in Ireland and we don't hear an awful lot about it because generally these are the types of cases that tend to settle without proceeding to court so nobody hears an awful lot about it Mm. and do those women do they get are they getting bullied Uh, I wouldn't call it bullying in terms of the legal definition of bullying this is discrimination on the grounds of gender Mm. Um, it's not uncommon um, to see women give years of service to a company um, to reach an age where a company, which a company might perceive as beyond childbearing age or an age where they don't expect you to start a family. You uh, have a family and you're about to come back from maternity leave and suddenly you find that you're served with a um, notice informing you that your role is at risk of redundancy. Um, Mm. That seems to be a very common approach. Um, or sometimes it can be as, as simple as the employer being very blatant about the fact that they don't want you coming back to the workplace. Okay, or overlooking you for promotions and stuff like that because they feel that you're at risk of having another child or wanting to have another child or something like that. At risk of having another child. I know. I, well, that, from an employer's point of view, from these bad employers' point of view, that's the way they would be thinking, I suppose. You're listening to Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan. With Recruit.ie. Download our job search app today. Search for Recruit.ie in your smartphone app store. Ireland's Classic Hits Radio. I'm joining the studio by Stephanie Regan and also Clinical Science psychotherapist and also Michelle Lachnan who is a, a solicitor with Molani Walsh Maxwell's in Dublin who deal on a regular basis with sadly the end result of when people are being bullied in the workplace and how to get them mentally prepared for the world again I suppose after they've been through something as traumatic as that and also how to get them legally prepared as well indeed if there's a case to be taken in their previous employer if they've been giving them a hard time if you've any questions by the way for either one of them about the I suppose the mental health aspect of being bullying obviously for Stephanie and obviously the legal aspect of it uh, for Michelle they would be happy to answer your questions indeed if they can um, but please if you are coming on the air and it's you're talking about your current employer or you're talking about a previous employer and you haven't already taken litigation against them uh, or there hasn't already been a conviction please don't mention the name of the company that you work for otherwise we'll all be in trouble uh, the number is 87 188 let me just go to Trish Trish hi how are you? Hi Niall how are you? Good Trish it's a very difficult subject to talk about Trish and, and I thank you very much indeed for getting involved and calling in um, It is but I just felt tonight on the way home I was listening to the obviously classic kits FM or whatever and I just said to myself I got my, I've got my chance now. Um, I wanted to do it probably maybe two years ago and I just felt I wasn't ready because I was, I was kind of in the job then. I was still there. But as I said, I heard you. I heard it tonight advertised about bullying and I said, OK, I'm going to do it now. So I'm, I'll tell you a bit of my story. I won't go into it in much detail. It is, a, it is a big, long story, but I'll just tell you more or less from start okay. to finish. But like I said, I won't go into it in detail. So I'll tell you, so I was in, in this job for three years and I was actually working in a convent. Now, I'm not going to name the convent where okay. it is, but I will say it's, it's actually in Cork, okay? Yeah. Um, I was working there for three years as a chef. 
I wasn't hired by the nuns. I was hired by, uh, we say, a contractor. Yeah. They covered everything from maintenance to carers to catering. So I fell in with the catering. Now, I'm a qualified chef myself, and I've worked in hotels, restaurants. I've actually got my own outside catering business, and it's doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I took this job on because it was it was just lighter work, we'll say, compared to the hotels, the restaurants. And I yeah. was able to have my weekends off, we'll say. I'd work maybe every second weekend on off, and I'd finish maybe by about maybe Yeah, it was a secure, steady job for you, something yeah. that you could guarantee yeah. your work. Yeah. yeah, lunch was over, and I could go. And there's one thing I am going to say about it. While I was there for the three years, I absolutely loved it. Okay. I, I still have a great bond with all the sisters inside her. But unfortunately, one sister, from the day I started, I'll always remember my first shift was on a Sunday. She bullied me from day one. And when you, when you say she bullied you, give me, give me an example of what, of what okay. she did. If it's not too difficult okay. for you, by the way, to, to, okay. to bring that up. I, I, I probably have about, I'd say, when I went to my, we'll say my, um, my employers or whatever, my site manager, I remember I had 15 incidents when I met HR with my site manager. He sat beside me and there was two from HR at the opposite table. And everything that I said to the two from HR, my, they looked at my site manager and he nodded his head and he went, yes, yes, mm. every whole single thing. But the bullying started on the very, very first day. I was in the dining room. I was serving their lunch. Maybe there was 20 sisters sitting down at the time to lunch. Now, every sister, every individual is different. It's like any house, everybody's taste buds are different. And I respected that from the day I went in there. So when, I, when it came to this particular nun, I noticed that she wasn't sitting with all the other sisters. There was maybe four or five at the table. She was sitting at her own table in the corner with her own cup and saucer, her own separate teapot, her radio, you know, and I knew straight away this one is a tough cookie. I was a good judge of character. So when it came to dessert, I sent, there was a carer, I was dishing up dessert and there was a carer with me and I sent the carer to the table with the dessert, which was on the day, fresh fruit, pavlova. And all I heard was, get that shite out of my face. And I thought, oh, wow. my God. Yeah, yeah. So I stepped back. I didn't really, I was only getting to know the staff. And I stepped back. The carer didn't take any notice of this. She was working there for years. So I stepped back to myself and I said, oh, my God, this one is tough. So I, like, I would, one thing I will say now is I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't lie down to that. I'm very, very stronger. I'm actually very, very stronger. But she did knock me. There was days that she did knock me because it continued. That was the first day when it started. Now, I was, I was quite upset by it. And I said it to the site manager, lovely, lovely guy. And he kind of laughed. He said, you'll get to know her. And I thought, so oh, in okay. other words, you're just expected to take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought, OK. So as the time was going on then, I could, you know, there was a lot of girls working there with years. And they were telling me, you know, things that were after happening or whatever. And I thought, well, you know. I did. I, I worked in hotels and restaurants. I went, like, look, I was a head chef in another place, and I never, ever, and there's always moments, mm. I never, ever, ever speak to any of my staff like that. And I'd always say, you know, don't speak, you, you, you speak to them with respect, and you get respect back. That's yeah. the way it is. But anyway, it started from that, and um, I just felt as well that she kind of got to know me. I, I think she kind of got to know as well, okay, this one now is a bit, maybe she might thought I was tougher. She's going to stand up for herself. So maybe that's why as well. Maybe she didn't like me, okay? So then, look, as time was going on then, she had a big, big issue then with the lights. There was a big, big issue with the electricity in there. And it was a dark building and my eyesight wasn't that good or whatever. And she kept on for months and months and months, turn off the lights, turn off the lights. 
And I said to my manager, I said, she wants me to turn the lights off. And I said, health and safety. I when he said, is where he did agree. No, he said, you tell her out straight. He said, you're not turning off the lights. And the cut long story short, I kept turning on the lights. She kept turning off the lights. So we got into a big argument one day anyway. And she said to me, are you actually stupid? She said, I think there's nothing up there in your head, she said. If you were home, would you have those lights on? I said, yes, I would have those lights on. Yes, I would if it was dark. So that was that. That was grand. It continued and continued. Then it came to an episode at Christmas with a cake. The cake was belonging to her. She asked me to cut the cake up and divide between other, another part of the building, which I did. There was a, a square of the cake left, and she told me that she didn't want the cake anymore. And then it came to, I think it was around little women's Christmas, and she said, I don't want that cake anymore. So she said, you can cut it up or whatever. So a, w- a week passed by. I cut the cake up. I, get it, I gave it to the sisters, and a week passed by, and she came back looking for the cake. So when she came back looking for the cake, I said, the cake is gone. I've given it to the sisters. And she said, you stole my money, my ingredients, my cake. And that, with that, then I flipped. And I used the word F off yeah. out of the kitchen. That was so, that was the kind of that was the breaking point, uh, was it? Yeah, I couldn't. She, she broke I, and I'm not meaning to rush you, Trish, but I, I want to get to other people too. But so, did you leave in the end, or did you stay, or, or no, did you take it? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. My manager told me to take a week out, and I took a week out. I didn't leave, okay. and I went back after a week, and I said I'm going to give it another go, and I got tough. Now they did offer me counselling in between the company. Well, I that was well, that was good. That they offered you the counselling, yeah. That's about all they did, Neil, mm. because I really just think they were ticking boxes. That's all they were doing, because, you know... So in other words, what it was, was that constant knocking, you know, it was just kind of hammering at you constantly all the time yeah, ab- by absolutely. one individual. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she actually upset all the other sisters because I got on extremely well with them, and I still do to this day. Well, 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 sorry, Trisha, just again, for cutting you short because I do want to get to other people, but I do want to ask, obviously, Stephanie, first, if I can, about that kind of situation. And sorry, Trish, again, if you feel I'm cutting everybody short, and I do apologise to everybody. But, but Stephanie, that's a very typical type of stories that Trish has just explained where it's, a, it's the constant, it might not be anything too serious, something over a cake, something over the light, something over the Pavlova not being mm. right or whatever it is, but it's, it's her professionalism and it's a constant knock at her professionalism to undermine you, even though it might be something small, but it's constant. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And I mean, the way that Trish describes it, I suppose what I what I would hear there as well is some, somebody who's um, who's sort of really bad behaviour has been kind of accepted in that environment. I was kind of surprised at that. But that's also something, you know, the way other people said to you, Trish, you know, oh, you'll get used to her. Kind of like she'll grow on you, absolutely. you know, well, yeah. you hope not. Absolutely. But yeah. I think that's that's one of the, the things we, I, I would have noticed in my own work over time, you know, is that sometimes bullying and that style becomes acceptable. Uh, and accepted, mm-hmm. not acceptable, but accepted in, a, in an environment. Mm-hmm. And that makes it doubly difficult for you to take the right line, you know, to feel that you can just say no or to feel mm-hmm. that it's wrong because half the, half the world in work are telling you that it's not wrong and it's acceptable. And uh, you did very well to navigate your way through it. But Mm -hmm. um, I suppose your story just raises that point especially. And um, Mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you stayed there for uh, three years. Is that what you said? And I did. And I'm sorry for cutting in. I did. Yes. like I said, you know, as you said, like she she was constantly picking on me and she actually brought the worst out of me. 
So can I just say yes. one more thing, and I can, sure. I'll, I'll go from it then. Because I, I just feel I, I want to get a little bit more in a little bit. Okay, about, okay, go ahead. So I went. I quick. I know. I know you haven't got time, um, Niall. So anyhow, I, I went back anyhow. Okay, and I was gone back for maybe about a week, and I was a little bit. I was a little bit raw. Now, even though I'm a tough girl, I was a little bit raw. Of course, you were. And my yeah. husband, my husband kept saying to me. Um, leave Trish, leave. You know, you have your own business. You don't need that stress. Leave, leave. And I said, no, I'm not giving in. I'm not throwing in the towel. So to cut long story short, I went back. I said I was gone back for about a week. And one of the girls I was working with, she told me, she came to me one day and she said to me, I, I was in the hairdresser's getting my hair done. And the hairdresser told me, and none, actually, that was the hair salon where she went to get her hair. The lady in the hairdresser's told a colleague of mine, that when the nun went to get her hair done, she said, did you hear about the tramp that is working across the road? Oh, gosh. She, she was referring to me. Okay. I have my own catering business, and I thought, oh, my God, it's a small little town. i mm. I got to get out of there now. i got to get out of there. So I handed in my notice. My boss actually brought me into the office, and he said to me, his exact words were to me, the site manager, I don't know how you have stuck it for so long. I said, you're, you're, you're actually saying that. I said, I got on well with it, but I said, you've done nothing. I said, you've done nothing, I said, for me. I said, I'm, I'm already here. I said, because I said, the worst is coming out of me. So I, I handed in my notice mm-hmm. and I said, here goes now. I think I had something like a week's holidays to take during my notice. So I was on working on the Saturday with a colleague and I said, I have to confront her. I just have to confront her. And I did. I went out. I waited until every sister had finished their breakfast. She always came down last. She was in the corner on her own and I went over to her and she looked at me and I said to her, she knew I had my notice hanging in. I said, you haven't won. I said, don't think you have won. But I said, I'm going to tell you one thing. I said, you're a dirty bully. And I said, you're going down. And I walked away. And with that... Did, did that by the way, did that make you... I, I, did it make you feel... Did it give you some sort of power to do that, to say that? I know you didn't use any physical violence or anything like that. But it, oh, did, no, did you, no, did you no, feel you I took a little bit of power back again when you did that? Um, I felt better. I okay. felt better okay. that I confronted her. I stood up to her. And that's why she didn't like me. This, this woman, is look, she, everybody knows her. She's, she's okay. powerful. She, she loves being in control. She is a powerful woman. And I suppose probably because I was standing up to myself. Now, I, I, she, like I said, I cursed her once. And I actually spoke to the canon and I spoke to the priest when I cursed her. And I asked him... I can, I can, I can actually hear it in your voice. You're getting upset even thinking yeah. about it now, Trish, yeah. because it's bringing yeah, it all back I, to you I, again. So. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I, asked, I actually spoke and I said, forgive me. I said, cause they, and they knew I wasn't bad. I was looking after the canon every day, giving him his mm. dinner, and he knew I wasn't bad. And I've met him since, and, you know, I like to get on extremely well with him. But I said, I confronted her. I told her what I thought. I told her that she was a bully. And I, told, I said, you're going down. You ain't going anywhere else. I went on my holidays and I said it to my mom and I said it to my, my dad or to my son here and to my husband. I said, I guarantee you, I said, I will not go back inside the convent again because they won't let me back in. I was out in Amsterdam. At my okay, okay. I don't, I don't want to go into too much more detail, but I, I, I get where you're, where you're going, Trish. Mm-hmm. And again, sorry for cutting you a bit short, but I want to ask but just Michelle, just finally in relation to that, because I, I don't want to know what you did afterwards because unfortunately we can't go into that Trish but in that particular case Michelle if somebody experiences something like that you know and in fairness to the employer they did offer a counselling at the time as well but the employer knew what was going on and more or less said to her you kind of have to accept that that's just part of the job unfortunately which seems to be wrong and certainly is wrong I mean do you have any comeback in what I see there is essentially constructive dismissal Mm. Constructive dismissal can be very difficult because you have to exhaust all of your internal procedures in order to be successful with a claim for 
constructive dismissal. So here in Trisha's case, we have the example of the repeated and inappropriate behaviour. Trish was able to identify 15 examples of aggressive behaviour, intimidation, verbal insults, incidents undermining her view. And really in that type of scenario, when an employee would bring something like that to the attention of an employer, an employer should be sitting down with an employee and saying, "Okay, we can deal with this in an informal way or a formal way and explaining what both of those avenues actually mean. Speak to an employee about the informal method that they can approach a contact person in the workplace who is a designated person that is trained to respond to complaints of bullying. Not investigate complaints of bullying, but how to respond to complaints of bullying. And the contact person would then encourage an employee like Trish to either confront the bully if they felt that they were in a position to do so, or to maybe write the complaint down in writing. And then at that point, then they could decide how best to deal with it, how best to move it forward. Is the behaviour so serious that it does warrant a more formal investigation? Or is it something that is maybe more appropriate to mediation so that you can have two people sit down and figure out how to move beyond their differences and actually work together in a harmonious environment? If the behaviour is really, really serious and it does warrant a more formal investigation, then you'd be looking at an, at appointing an independent person to investigate these 15 examples of bullying in the workplace to determine what the outcome of that is and then to offer the employee a a right of appeal if for some reason they're not satisfied with that outcome. Now, Nighttime Talk with Niall Boylan on the home of the 80s and 90s. Ireland's classic hits radio. All right, welcome back. And once again, thank you to our guests for staying a little bit longer than we had planned. Uh, We're talking to Stephanie Regan, who's a clinical psychotherapist, and also Michelle Lachnan, who is a solicitor with Milani Walsh Maxwell. So don't forget, by the way, if you want more information in relation to bullying or generally clinical psychology, uh, you can listen to Stephanie. She has her own podcast. It's called Tough Love, and that's available, I'm assuming, in all the usual outlets. I'm assuming, Stephanie, that's available on Spotify and everywhere Absolutely. else. Absolutely, yep. People Spotify, Apple it. and all of that. Yep. That's great. I'm sure people would love to hear it. I think I'll be interested myself and have a listen mm, to it. Thank you. Let now. me go if I can quickly to Anne because I don't want to keep you ladies too long tonight. Anne, hi, how are you? Uh, good evening, Niall. Thank good. you for having me on. No problem at all. What, uh, what happened to you? I worked, it's funny, uh, one of your ladies uh, mentioned earlier there that um, it was more common in education was one of the areas that's where I worked. Okay. I worked in personal administration. Okay. Uh, um, I, when I started in the organisation for two years, it was a fantastic place to work. Great colleagues. We had a laugh. We had a joke. Very busy place, but we got our work done. There was never an issue. All that changed after two years when um, a person, I will not give her the title of a lady because she was certainly not that, um, joined the organisation um, and from there on in, from that day, my life was hell. Okay, give and me I an mean, example when you say your life was made hell. How was it, how was the life, I how did life... I was going to work every morning. Mm. Um, she totally um, disregarded me as if I was dirt under her shoe, uh, despite the fact um, that I actually had to train her up in the job. Um, she would speak to me if there was someone there. 
she would ignore me um, on other occasions. Okay. It was quite some time after she had started, quite some time when things were getting bad, that I discovered that anyone that joined the organisation after her were being taken aside by this person and her telling them to have absolutely nothing to do with me, that I was bad news. Oh, gosh. I I couldn't figure out what. I said, is there something wrong with me or what's going on here? There was young girls coming into work and they were avoiding me like I had the plague. Right, so you were you, you were being they were, they were being told you're some sort of troublemaker or some sort of nuisance exactly, or yeah exactly okay and two in particular joined then uh, around my own age and they joined in on her activities shall we say one of them had joined while I was on annual leave and I came back after a fortnight and. I saw her and she wasn't saying anything and I went over to her and I introduced myself and I welcomed her and mm, as you totally would, yeah. looked through me. Totally looked through me. Now, so not only mm-hmm. had I that first person to contend with, I now have two more. Okay, so they were kind and of ganging up on you now at this stage. And by the way, not to, to shorten your story, but this ended up in a physical assault as well. Um, that first person left then after 12 years and I remember the acting CEO at the time brought me in and he said great news she's retiring you won't have to put up with her anymore if they all knew what's going on Mm -hmm. and then one of her cronies took up her position for the want of a better word okay and on the 13th uh, the 12th of April 2013 she physically assaulted me in the office when when you say physically assaulted what she hit you Yes, wow. on my show. Right. Um, uh, there was several people in the office at the time, no, but there was dividers in the office, so they didn't actually see it. But she had come over and started an altercation with me verbally and stood over me, and she was quite a tall person, and I was sitting down at the time, and I kept saying to her, look, you know, I'm very uncomfortable with the way this is going on and blah, blah, yeah, yeah. all of that, and please stop and no. So um, that was on the 12th of April, 2013. I sent, that was a uh, Friday. I came in on the Monday morning. I drove home that evening. Uh, Two hours. I was commuting two hours. I pulled up outside the house and I cannot tell you how I got to to the front door. That sounds very distressing. No recollection of coming down a motorway two hours. None. And so I, I imagine that was affecting your family life, your, your mood, everything. Yeah. That went on. Uh, I tried everything I could to sort that out from April to December. What they did then was dreadful. They took me out of my position. I was in HR, believe it or not. That's a uh, irony in that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. In HR. So I knew everything that had to be done. I followed all the procedures. When I went to mediation, the mediator locked me in the room. Actually, yeah. turned the key and locked me in the room. That was the mediation. Bizarre. Now, um, the head of HR took me in one day in the September and she says, I'm going to sort this out. This is going to be dealt with today. No. Then in October, they took me out of my position in HR. They put me into another position, procurement, within that office. I had no knowledge, no training in that area 
whatever. They took the girl that was in procurement out and put her into HR. She was in exactly the same position. And I was told I wouldn't have to look at the other one anymore. That hit me. They left me there until December with nothing to do for eight hours a day looking at a blank computer. This was management. I went repeatedly, looked for work, nothing. I would say hello to people. They would blank me. It was horrendous. And how long did you stay then in that job before you left, Anne? I went on my Christmas holidays on the 20th of December and I signed out for two weeks in 2013. And that was a Friday night. And I came home here and I got into my bed and I went out cold. I had taken a half day and I got a phone call then to tell me at half five, despite the fact I was on annual leave, um, at half five and the office was closed from the second in command, that when I came back in January, I would be put up on the third floor in an office on my own and I wouldn't have to look at her anymore. Bearing in mind there was nothing on the third floor, there was it wasn't even done. There was there wasn't even an office. I, I, I think the pattern of behaviour is very obvious and I want to go to Stephanie just before she goes because unfortunately I've held the ladies here for so long. But just in relation to, to the final aspect of this story, did you end up leaving? I left for annual leave on the 20th of December and I never went back now. Okay, I can understand that, why you would do that. Okay, but hold on for a second, Anne. I just want to get Stephanie. Stephanie, you've been listening to that. That's exactly what you were talking about earlier on. Yes. The people in the office talking, and she was obviously a victim of that, of yeah. this kind of spreading rumours. Kind rumors of a ganging up. A yeah. kind of, you know, where, the, where the, bully, the person who's bullying is sort of recruiting others to yes. agree with them yes. and to, in many ways, sort of act in a similar way. So everybody gets convinced that this is the way. You know, it's a kind of, mm. you know, it brings a kind of... Uh, the, the sort of herd kind of feeling to it. And of course, it's even more damaging because you're more isolated. And what also comes across there, Anne, is that the ham-fisted way it was being managed, which is, um, you know, separating you from her. So in many ways, it's the classical thing where the person who has been bullied becomes further victimised by the system where they're, you know, you're you're the one who's who has to get away from your job. You're the one. So who she has was to punished essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. You're, you end up up on the third floor, as you say, on your own, looking out the window. And this person is who has been horrible and and inappropriate, is sort of facilitated in what she's doing and mm-hmm. um, horrible, horrible and very hard to navigate, very hard to see your way through it. And unfortunately, what you what you described to me um, there and what I pick up is that it only you, you, you got to the point where there was nothing else you could do, really, except not go back. No, there wasn't. I, I tried from April to December to yeah. sort out the whole thing. Yeah, I wasn't even given a meeting. Yeah. I, I wasn't even allowed to have a day. And, and I you went know, it's still in your voice, isn't it? You can... I, I, I can in everybody, can even with that. Trish earlier on, yeah. I can hear people's voice, you know, they're kind of nearly thinking, well, rethinking yes, it again and reimagining it. When you talk yeah. about it, it brings it back. And that's why mm. talking about, yeah. about... That's why therapy works, because when people talk about it, it brings it back. But when you talk I about it here tonight, it does awesome. also bring it back. And, and if I could also ask Michelle, just very quickly as well, Michelle, in relation to that case, um, you know, where they isolate somebody... 
to, to kind of sort out the problem. I mean, that's not really the answer. So her sitting there for eight hours doing absolutely nothing because they just want to get her offside. Uh, you know, that really compounds the problem. And not only that, by the way, she was physically assaulted as well, which probably does, is, is certainly a case. It really does compound the problem, Niall. And one thing employers need to remember is that they are contractually obliged to provide their employees with work. So while they may feel they're doing the, the right thing and taking the right course of action by keeping uh, these two employees who have encountered an element of friction in their relationship apart, um, it's not helping the situation and they're in breach of their contract with one particular employee and not providing them with the duties which they have contracted to provide them with. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that struck me about Anne's case as well is the length of time that it took for this investigation or this process or procedure to, um, uh, I won't even say conclude because it doesn't sound like it concluded, but Anne mentioned a no, timeline. Sorry, can I just come in there? Sorry yeah. for interrupting you there. I did go to the guards and they did advise me a very, very nice guard to take a civil case. Yeah. And it took me eight years and it went the whole way to the High Court. Okay. Okay. And, and how, by the way, how did you fare off in the High Court? I got a settlement. Okay. Okay. And, and I think in that particular situation, from what you described rightly so as well. And Michelle, that's ultimately what can happen, of course, to a company. They could end up in the High Court. They could, which isn't good from, you know, a, a financial exposure point of view, but I think more importantly, a reputational point of view. Bullying is bad for business. It leads to high levels of absenteeism, high staff turnover um, and low staff morale. N- nobody wants that from their business. And I think mm-hmm. both employers and employees have a role in creating a positive work environment and a safe work environment. Um, obviously, there's more of an obligation on an employer in terms of implementing the correct policies and procedures and training for managers and how they respond to these particular complaints. But there's also an obligation on employees to comply with these policies and procedures because that feeds into the wider sense of what is and what is not acceptable in a workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly what I went to was acceptable. And sorry again to cut everybody short today and I really appreciate you coming on your honesty and I hope you've dealt with that situation in your own head because I know it can be very difficult uh, well, talking about it again. Counselling, Niall. Yeah. That's what it took. Yeah. Four solid, long years of counselling. But I will never forget and I will certainly never forget. Thank you very much. And, and, and you know what? If I was in your position, I would feel exactly the same way because it, it can be so undermining of your professionalism to have somebody do that. And not just your professionalism, of your very being in yourself to be undermined constantly like that. It is, yeah. Okay, thank you, Anne. And thank you to everybody. And I'm going to come to Brooke after the ladies have gone. But listen, I do have to thank because I've kept them so long already. Don't forget, Tough Love is the name of the podcast, by the way, by Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist, if you want to go on to Spotify, whatever it is. And also Michelle Lochnan, if you need any advice, by the way, legal advice, she is with Milani Walsh Maxwell's uh, solicitors in relation to employment law and specialises in employment law. Ladies, listen, thank you very much indeed for thank taking part tonight. And thank you for giving all that wonderful advice that you've given over the last so hour. Welcome. So welcome. Yeah, and such a thank worthwhile thing to be doing tonight. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Niall. Now, I will take, I have to take one more call as well, haven't I, after the ladies have gone. Actually, I'll go to that that call now if I can. Brooke, hi, how are you? Hi, Niall, I'm good. How are you? Good, Brooke. I am, I'm overwhelmed, Brooke, by the amount of calls, the amount of texts. I, if I could have kept the ladies here for three hours, um, I would have happily have done that because there's so many questions that they could be asked. And during the week, by the way, we will have more experts as well to talk to. But you were picked on as well. Yeah, so I was in a 
large franchise kind of electrical and kind of department store and um, I was a sales assistant and my manager ended up being my bully so he Mm. was very very demeaning he didn't seem to like any of the female staff Okay. and he would constantly pick on the female staff so there's kind of an element of sexism obviously about this yeah yeah so I think the power actually got to his head because he was a freshly new manager Mm. so Whenever, say, myself or some of the girls were doing, say, restock on the floor or if you asked us to do something and we got to say distracted, especially myself, if I got distracted with a customer and he would generally pull me aside after I've finished with the customer and then he'd actually give out to me for helping the customer and not finishing what I was doing. Okay, which helping your customers is part of the job as well, of course, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and then, Probably a more important part of the job, to be honest with you. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so he would just pull us to the side and he'd make very kind of snarky comments, being like, well, I told you to do this and you're supposed to do this. And I remember one time I'd asked to leave early one of the nights um, and I'd asked this two weeks previous to this to the date. Mm. And he said, yeah, we'll have to just see what way it's like on that evening. I was like, Grant, no problem. And then when I asked him on that day to go home that early, he berated me in front of customers, in front of fellow staff, and in front of other staff members that were on the floor, so from different departments. And just being like, well, you know, you've basically done nothing all day, so you may as well go home, and I may as well give the sales to other people who actually want to do their job. Wow, wow. And then the following day, he actually pulled me in to a PR meeting, to basically call out everything I'd done wrong and just basically ridiculing me. And then he also said to me that if he was on the wages that I was on, he wouldn't bother getting out of bed in the morning. God, See, the problem, I've often said this about managers, right, or somebody who's given a managerial position. My mother used to years ago say, give a man a yellow coat and he thinks he's God. And there is an element of that. It's it's a very powerful position to give somebody to be in charge of other people or to have the power over yeah. other people. And some people handle it really well and they're good at yeah. it and they don't abuse other people or take advantage of that situation. But there are people, once they have a uniform on them, well, I suppose a uniform, a suit in, in your situation, they believe that they have the power to do and say what they want and not just yeah. implement the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. And unfortunately, he didn't face any repercussions or anything. Um, and I left that job not that long ago. I left it at the start of this year because of how bad everything had gotten. As and how did it make you feel? When you went home at night, Like, did did it play in your mind constantly all the time? Was it upsetting you all the time? Yeah, so I, be, I didn't show, fair enough, I didn't show up to work a lot because of it. I actually felt that I didn't want to get up in the morning I can because understand I was that. Yeah. anxious to go into work because I was like, oh God. What are they going to say today? And especially as a woman mm. in that type of, you know, forefront, because I worked in a electrical section. Okay. So a lot of people would kind of look over women in that section. They'd more so tend to go for the men or someone in that area who was why do, you, why do you think that is? Do you think people think men know more about electronics than women or something like that? I don't know. I think so. I'm not exactly certain. Yeah. But they would always look over myself or any of the other female staff they'd always pick one of the guys. Yeah. And the guys would always see that this, that this was happening and they'd be like, oh yeah, the girls would be happy to help. Yeah, because that's I'm a bit embarrassing, you know what I mean? Moment. Yeah. For them. Yeah. yeah. 
see you being so, overlooked. Yeah, and I think in a very male-dominated role, it's a little harder for women to find their feet a lot of the time, I find. Yeah, because you're competing. Well, when I say you're competing, you're competing against this kind of narrative that men yeah. should be in that role. And I always feel sorry to some, to some degree for women who are in a role that it would be primarily a male-dominated industry because you feel they have a little bit of a battle ahead of them, which they shouldn't, but they do have a bit of a battle ahead of them. But getting back to the manager, you know, the manager should be very understanding. I mean, in that situation where you're kind of you're supposed to be stocking shelves, but you're helping a customer, helping the customer is a lot more important. If he was a good manager, he would have realised that, but he's obviously not a very good manager, and he abused mm-hmm. his power. And did other people feel the same way about him, by the way? Yeah, a lot of people felt the same, and a lot of people left because of him as well. And did anyone make a formal uh, complaint? No, I don't think anybody did. I think everybody was so fed up that they just, they yeah. couldn't because I think people in, he had moved from one store to another. So I think people in the last store had a complaint about him Yeah, and nothing was done about it. Okay, okay. And but the problem is, and Stephanie pointed out earlier on, Stephanie Regan pointed out earlier on, when you make a complaint or if you make a complaint, there's always the fear if I make a complaint, people just think I'm a troublemaker. You know what I mean? And you don't want to be exactly, the, you don't yeah. want to be the one. You know what I mean? And that's really can be difficult as well. There's a balancing act, isn't there? Yeah. And that's the thing. You don't want to, you know, send a report into HR and HR actually take their side mm-hmm. and then you get, you know, labelled as the bad person, the bad staff member, you know, a Someone yeah. who complains a lot, stuff like that. You don't yeah. want that label put on you then. But you're not there now. You've moved on, have you? Yeah, no, I've moved on to a different job now. Are you happier? Kind of. <laughs> okay, kind of. I mean, it's very difficult to get the right job. It really is to get a job you like, to work with people yeah. you like, and to work with people who are not going to, you know, take advantage of you or abuse you in no, some way. Exactly. It is very difficult yeah. to get the right job and the right balance. Well, Brooke, I wish you well and thank you very much indeed for your honesty and the example that you've given because it is a very typical and typical example of what we're hearing tonight as well. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Perfect. Brooke. Thank Please. you so much. See you, bye. There you go. Brooke is just another example and we've heard so many examples tonight of, you know, the different types of bullying in the workplace. But remember, of course, as Michelle uh, point, Lachnan pointed out, there is redress there. There is a way of dealing with it. If you feel that it's got to a point, I suppose, whereby you know, you can take legal action or you feel that you can't remain in that job, you know, you can take a case for constructive dismissal. And somebody earlier on said, what's constructive dismissal? Well, constructive dismissal is not when you've been dismissed from a job because that's being fired, obviously, and you can take a case for that too, by the way, if you feel that you've been unfairly fired. But constructive dismissal is when they're not firing you, but they you feel you're in a position whereby your job is untenable and you feel that you cannot continue. So you leave. And by leaving you're giving in to them, seemingly, but that's what they think, you know, that's, it's far better if she leaves or he leaves, then we don't have to deal with it, then we're not in a situation where they could take us to court, but they're actually wrong, because you can take them for what they call constructive dismissal, which is forcing you into a situation where you had no choice but to leave, or your life was being made very difficult. Anyway, we will have more of it tomorrow, we will be talking to more experts tomorrow. Uh, uh, we will be uh, talking to a HR expert tomorrow, by the way, if you want to get more information on 
human resources within the, the workplace and what human resources is all about and what the policies are and indeed how to go about making that complaint. And also we were talking to a relationship mentor because of course, remember as well, you have a relationship with your employees. Uh, you have a relationship with your boss. You have a relationship with your work colleagues. So they're all relationships as well. So and, and that can affect obviously your own relationship too. So we'll be talking to a relationship mentor and also a HR expert tomorrow night at nine o'clock to continue our campaign, Work Smart, Speak Out, because we want people to speak out about bullying in the workplace. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.